Welcome to the online ministry of Pacific Beach United Methodist Church, located in beautiful San Diego, California. Pacific Beach UMC is a member of the Reconciling Ministries Network and welcomes persons of all ages and backgrounds for worship, study, and service opportunities. More information can be found on our website at pbumc.org. May you be enriched by the hearing of these words, and may you receive and enjoy God's blessing. scripture reading this morning is from Acts 21 through 12. Paul goes to Macedonia and Greece. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them and saying farewell, he left for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was about to set sail for Syria when a plot was made against him by the Jews, so he decided to return through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sobater's son of Pyrrhus from Beroea, by Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, by Gaius from Derbe, and by Timothy, as well as by Tychicus and Trophimus from Asia. They went ahead and were waiting for us in Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we joined them in Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Paul's farewell visit to Troas. On the first day of the week when we met to break bread, Paul was holding a discussion with them. Since he intended to leave the city the next day, He continued speaking well into midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were meeting. A young man named Eutychus, who was sitting in the window, began to sink off into a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer. Overcome by sleep, he fell to the ground three floors below and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and, bending over him, took him in his arms and said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Then Paul went upstairs, and after he had broken bread and eaten, he continued to converse with them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, they had taken the boy away alive and were not a little comforted. We say a special thank you to Chris after that reading with all of those unusual names in it, don't we? Chris does seem to always get those readings and in fact texted me several days ago to say, did you plan this, that I would, <laughs> that I would get this reading? And I also want to say thank you to uh, Ron for the uh, words to the hymns 
Um, again, uh, meld beautifully with this with this text and the and the theme. So just um, I loved singing them, and hope you'll revisit them um, maybe after the service to to enjoy that again. So this is the last week of our six week summer sermon series, Faces of Our Faith. We've spent time with different biblical figures, learning and growing from their stories of faith. We've recalled folks near and dear to our own hearts, folks who have been central in our faith development, including some of their pictures on our picture collage on the whiteboard that's out in the courtyard. If you brought a picture to share today, please go ahead and and put it up. We'll leave the pictures in place until next week and then invite folks to take them down after that. And today, the grand finale of our series features a boy named Eutychus, whose story, truth be told, might not seem very grand at all. I had a vague recollection of this story before starting on this sermon series, but for the life of me, I couldn't remember many of the details. What is Eutychus remembered for? Well, he's the young man that dozed off to sleep during Paul's sermon and fell to his death out a third-story window. And I know you might be thinking to yourself about now, hmm, not all that inspirational. Well, truly, there are some special circumstances to consider here. Paul was wrapping up his work in Greece and was saying goodbye to Christians in Asia Minor. This was the last time that he would be with this congregation in Troas. So understandably, he had a lot that he wanted to say. You know how it is when you're trying to squeeze in all of the last-minute things that need to be said. It reminded me of when I'm going out of town and leaving my dogs in someone else's care. I don't know if anybody else can relate to this. I write a virtual novella of instructions, potential problems, possible solutions, a whole host of contingent plans, resources, emergency contacts, etc., just in case an issue or a problem might arise. I even have pictures of what their morning and evening food dishes should look like just to make sure that they get the right proportion of wet to dry food. It's important stuff. When you're headed out of town, there's a lot to communicate. Clearly, Paul and I are kindred spirits in that way because he preached on and on and on late into the night trying to communicate to reinforce it all. The text tells us that it was after midnight when Eutychus began to nod off. Unfortunately, he was perched on the sill of a third-story window, fell backward, and died as a result of his fall. Now, whether we've heard this story before or not, I imagine all of us feel some sympathy for Eutychus, myself included. As many of you know, I worked in hospice chaplaincy for years, which meant I was sitting in the pews rather than up front most Sunday mornings. 
And I remember a time or two when I have become very, very sleepy in church, possibly on a warm day like today. Those are days when, no offense to anyone, it's just hard to keep your eyes open, right? You've probably experienced it. And please know that if I see one of you dozing off in church, and it has happened a time or two, I take no offense at all. I just assume you've had a hard week or you didn't sleep well the night before and that a catnap is in order and will do you some good. And sleepy or not, I'm, I'm just glad to hear that Eutychus was there that day. It's nice to see young people in church, right? I have to imagine that the youth of that day felt about the same way that the youth of today feel about formal religious gatherings. I was reading this week about a recent survey taken among youth regarding their thoughts about worship. When asked what they thought the favorite part of the service was for adults, they overwhelmingly said the sermon. When asked their favorite part of the service, they overwhelmingly said the benediction. Funny. For those of you who don't know, that's the very end part, when you know you get to leave soon. Very funny. So it's a curious account about Eutychus, a brief story, really, but it's caught folks' attention over the years, in part, I think, because it is about a young person. And the church likes to talk about young people. The church recognizes its need to engage young people in a more effective manner. The church wants to know what it can do to be a relevant space and a safe haven for young people. But the church, at times, can also get a little opinionated, sometimes even judgy about young people, perhaps unintentionally. I stumbled across some of that while reading about Eutychus this week. There are folks who claim that Eutychus's choice to sit on the windowsill indicates that he was too passive in his participation, that he wasn't fully invested in the worship service. Hence, he sat on the windowsill, putting himself in a precarious position. There are folks who wonder if Eutychus, like many youth of today, was sleep deprived, hence needing to take better care of himself in order to be fully awake to the presence of the holy. There are still other folks who wonder if Eutychus, like many youth and adults in our contemporary day and age, suffered from some ancient form of entertainment addiction, thus finding worship boring because it just wasn't fun or exciting enough. Eh, it's food for thought, I guess, but none of that felt particularly spot on to me. And while some commentators seem to, to blame Eutychus himself for his predicament, more of what I encountered in my reading pointed a finger not so much to Eutychus, but to the institution of the church itself. And as someone who serves in and represents the institution, I feel the need to pay a little closer attention to those words. 
because there are folks who lift up the story of Eutychus and ask the question of if we are failing to find ways to be relevant to youth and young adults in our modern age. Are we, in fact, boring them to death? If not a physical death, then some sort of spiritual death. These folks also point to the fact that Eutychus was perched on that windowsill, but raise the question of if he, and subsequently our youth today, are marginalized, placed on the outside, the fringes, where they are more in peril of falling out the proverbial window, falling away from the church. And most serious of all, there are those who make the claim that the church has killed youth, has been responsible for grave harm in its failure at times to protect children and youth, especially from sexual predators in our own programs or programs affiliated with the church. United Methodist Campus Minister Roger Wolsey writes a blog in which he says, I was a youth like Eutychus. I fell out a window. He tells of being abused by a Boy Scout leader in a church-sponsored troop. When that troop leader died, Wolsey realized that he had not been the only one to be abused. He says, when an adult who's entrusted to guide our youth and be an example to them violates that trust, years of nurturing faith development can fly out the window from a third floor and die. I must, we must pay attention to the questions this passage raises about the church as an institution and how we nurture or fail to nurture and protect the lives and the lives of faith of our young people. All of these are important issues and topics of conversation and contemplation contemplation. And as I sat with this passage this week, what it boiled down to for me in the end was this. People take priority over the institution. Always. Every time. Period. And that makes me a little uncomfortable to say because I am a representative of the institution. I have been entrusted with and feel responsible for this particular expression of the institution. I care about and worry over us as an institution here in Pacific Beach, as a part of the larger United Methodist Church, and in general as the church in the world. But the thing I return to when I managed to take off my institutional hat is what drew me to Christianity as a youth in the first place, even though there were long, boring sermons sometimes then, too. People take priority over the institution. It was absolutely that way for Jesus. That's what I first loved about Jesus and it absolutely has to be that way for us as well. Being here, sharing in worship, is central 
to our lives of faith. It's where we connect with God and connect with one another. It's where we are fed at Christ's table of grace and where we express the height and depth and breadth of both our gratitude and our human pain. But we can't be the church, truly be the church in this building alone. We have to have one foot in here and one foot out there on the street in order to encounter the ones who are lying there broken, no matter how they got there. Perhaps they fell out our own window. Perhaps they landed there some other way. And even as I say the word encounter, we have to be out in the street in order to encounter those who are broken. I know that it is not enough. That is not a strong enough word. It doesn't come close to what Jesus asks us to do. In this scripture passage, the Greek word is translated, took him into his arms. In English, we hear that Paul took Eutychus in his arms after he found him dead on the sidewalk below. But a more accurate translation of that word would be he threw himself upon him. Paul threw himself upon Eutychus. It's a rare word in the New Testament. And one of the few other places that it's used is to describe the action of the father in the parable of the prodigal son when the father sees his son coming down the path, returning home after this long, terrible absence. The father, abandoning all dignity, threw himself upon the son in order to embrace him. And that image, that action, both here in the story of Eutychus and in the parable of the prodigal son, touches me deeply It feels driven by an intensity of love that can only be described as divine. And it makes me ask myself, do I, do we embody this word, this action, when it comes to responding to those who are broken on the street right outside our window? to the ones who have fallen away from our own congregation because they felt injured or sidelined or neglected, to the ones who just happened to be here wounded by abuse, poverty, physical illness, mental illness, grief, the ones who happened to fall apart right on our doorstep, Are we, like Paul, stopping the show inside, as our brother Bruce would say, hitting the pause button on even something as important as worship in order to run outside to throw ourselves onto and into the messy people and places of life in order to embrace and tend to folks? Not always, I have to confess. Maybe sometimes and a little reluctantly at that, but not always. I felt a bit convicted about this as I sat in my office on Friday this week working on this sermon. 
It is quiet here on Fridays, and I'm sometimes here by myself. When I am, I pull up the cameras on my computer that monitor about 13 different spots around campus. And I do this so I can see who's coming and going outside. If someone rings the front doorbell, I can see who it is in order to decide if I'm going to open the door or not. And I'll tell you, there are times when I hear the bell, take a look at the camera, and go right on working, pretending like no one is home here at PBUMC. And I had to admit to myself this week that there are times when I not only perhaps neglect the opportunity to run out to those in need, but there are times when I spend my time and energy actively monitoring the streets, just looking for threats and potential danger. Now, I'll tell you, as someone who has been the victim of a violent crime before, I give myself some grace about this. There is, of course, wisdom in being careful of our surroundings. I don't want to be flippant or reckless about that reality at all. But I also realize that God is perhaps inviting me to let go even a little bit of my propensity to be on the lookout for danger and instead be more intentional about looking for signs of life. When Paul ran out to Eutychus, who was reportedly dead on the sidewalk, he said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Paul saw life where others saw death. Paul saw life amid that which was wounded and broken, and not by his own power, but by the power of God's grace, he played a part in the restoration of that life in this young man named Eutychus. Who's outside our window? Who has fallen through the cracks of our community? Who has tumbled out our window? Who do we find wounded through whatever means on the ground outside our doors? May we be people of the institution who put people first, always, every time. May we have eyes to see life, even in the bleakest of places and the most difficult of circumstances. And may we throw ourselves generously into the stories and circumstances of others, trusting that by the power of God's grace, God will use us as instruments to bring light and life. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we are so grateful for this place and space of worship, a place we count on, a place in which we gather as we seek a life-giving connection with you. We are grateful for the sights and sounds of this place, for the music, the silence, the words, the images, 
and the people who gather with us as we bring our thanks and hopes and struggles to you. We are grateful for the memories this sacred space stirs and for the hope it inspires, hope for our lives and the lives of others near and far around us. Help us to cherish and honor this space called church, but never at the expense of individual people in it or around it. This space supports us as we are mended, shaped, and molded, empowered to be your church in the world. Forgive us when we get too comfortable in this space, when we settle in seeking protection, but not transformation. Forgive us for the times and places when the institution of which we are a part has wounded people by injury or neglect, and we have not objected or intervened. Forgive us for the times and places when we have seen people on our streets and doorsteps as problems rather than beloved children of your making in desperate need. Enliven us with your spirit of demonstrative love as we move into the week ahead. Help us not to pull back from the woundedness of this world, witnessed in so many different ways, close at hand and far away, but give us courage and wisdom to rush, to move, to lean in as instruments of your healing, your justice, your peace, trusting in the power of your spirit to bring healing and hope through us as individuals, through us as your church. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.